From talk to music, from Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is 101.9 High FM. Benji Shulman on the New Blue Review. Bubba, if you want to be part of the show, we always welcome your engagement. You can WhatsApp us on 061-895-1019. You can SMS us on 34519. Tweet us at, at FM. Email us on, on, on email us on info at chaifem.com and we'll be happy to engage. As I said, Dean Solomon, he is in the studio and uh, he is from Zimbabwe. Dean, originally at least. Dean, welcome to the show and uh, thanks for being with us on FM. Thank you very much for having me. So, uh, give us a bit of a sense. Uh, you grew up in Zimbabwe. You went to the school. First of all, what is the name of the school and, uh, and where is it based? So, I was born in Johannesburg. Uh, okay. um, my parents are originally from Rhodesia. Um, they moved to Joburg mid, mid-80s. 1980s, um, had my two brothers, my two older brothers, then myself, and when I was two, they moved back to Bulawayo, uh, which is where we spent most of our childhood, um, and ended up attending Carmel School, which was the Jewish day school, Ju- Jewish junior day school um, in Bulawayo. Uh, there were, we had a junior school in Bulawayo, Carmel, and in Harare they had Sharon, which was almost the equivalent, grade one to grade seven. And were they high school equivalent? No. Um, certainly not in Bulawayo, um, which ended up ending in a Catholic high school, <laughs> um, Christian Brothers College. They have the Boxburg equivalent channel and a few other places. And then in 2005, I ended up moving to Durban to boarding school. On I didn't get sent. That was <laughs> that was at my own request. I ended up in boarding school in just outside of Peter Maritzburg at a Methodist high school. So I've I've had my fair share of different uh, education, educational upbringing. Um, it's been different. It was it was interesting, um, you know, being with different people of different faiths, different religions. You know, it makes you see the world in a different light, almost. Yeah, and I'd love to get um, some insight into that because it sounds like a fascinating uh, schooling career. Uh, start off by telling us though about Carmel. Uh, what was it like to go to a Jewish school uh, in in Zimbabwe? What what was the school like? What did you do? Oh, look, the school was great. Um, in my class, there was only two two Jews, myself and another girl. Um, so we were the only ones who had to, we had to, we had a Hebrew Hebrew class every year. And between the two of us, I won best boy, she won best best girl in in, in Hebrew class. So we we had Hebrew. We learned to read Hebrew, write Hebrew, understand Hebrew as much as we could at, at that stage. Um, we had Jewish history lessons, um, but it, it being just for the two of us, they, they, they accommodated us, uh, which I think was quite amazing. So we, there were about 30 kids in our class, 30 kids in each class. Um, and it was, it was a great upbringing. I mean, they, they catered for us. The community catered for us. It was a very small community, um, a very tight knit community. Most of them felt like family if they weren't family. Um, and it was, what felt like a normal upbringing, you know, growing up with African friends, Muslim friends, yeah, and and they all attended the school. You know, it wasn't, and that was the beauty of it at that point in time. Um, it was a very diverse, diverse class, and we didn't see it any different at that stage. And these pictures and videos that uh, that I would send out of the assembly on a Friday afternoon, walk us through the morning, walk us through what that looked like. Uh, and, and what you guys used to do? So, kipper every day in in service every morning in assembly, and that was worn by all. Um, you got into a little bit of trouble if if you if you didn't have your kipper on you. 
Um, and then on a Friday morning, every as well, we had a Shabbos service. Uh, we, um, oh, so sorry, during assembly, that there, there would be a version of it. Well, a version that would be singing a tikva, as well as the Zim national anthem, um, which everyone had to learn. Um, and then on the Friday, we would have Shabbos service, uh, make a bracha over, over some bread and some grape juice, and before everyone left, they all got a bit of bit of challah to, to take home with them before break. It was it was great. <laughs> And how did this go down with, with, with all the kids in the class? I, mean, I, I guess everyone was fairly young, but did, did anyone, I mean, other than yourself, the two Jewish kids in the school, really sort of uh, grasp what the significance of some of this stuff was all about? I've never really thought about that, but I'd, I, I don't imagine so. I mean, for us, for most of them, at least me and my friends, we only really cared about when the break time was and when we could go out and go into the field and play some sport, you know? But it was it was a Jewish school, and I think parents knew exactly what what that meant i think for a lot of the muslim families that were there they 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 almost identified to what we're trying to do as opposed to sending them to a catholic equivalent you know i think for them it was far too different and everyone was well at least from what i'd seen maybe i was a bit naive in a young age but everyone was kind of tolerant of it not only tolerant but accepting of it and it interests me that uh, even since you left uh quite some time ago, and uh, I'm guessing that there's no more Jewish kids in the school, they still maintain those traditions, and uh, apparently, according to the report that I got, that the, that's the principal says it's a Jewish school, and therefore that's important that they maintain those sort of traditions as part of the school culture, even uh, if you know there's no actual Jews left, which I think is a fascinating uh, way, and I think it's very African. I'm not sure if this would happen anywhere else in the world. Yeah, literally not one Jewish child left in the school, and still to this day they hold the Shabbos service where Kippot, it's, it, it is, it's amazing. It, it really is. I mean, I think quite rightly, I don't think you would see this anywhere else in the world, and you kind of ask yourself why, but for the community that does remain there, I think it's an amazing thing that they've been able to actually keep going. Who knows, maybe one day, who knows, maybe you end up back there. <laughs> now, uh, I want to ask you after the break, uh, a little bit about the the Budawaya and Har- Harari communities because I think they are a little bit different and I think people don't always have a sense of Zimbabwe. So uh, we're going to be talking about that after the break, just getting a sense about what was it like beyond the school in the Jewish community in Zimbabwe. The best part of your day at the heart of your community. All the talk, all the music, all the news. Hi FM. Uh, we're happy to uh, take your views on on everything. Oh six one eight nine five one zero one nine. That's the WhatsApp line. SMS us three four five one nine. We're in studio with Dean Solomon today, talking about what was it like uh, to grow up in Zimbabwe. Now, Dean, you grew up in Bulawayo, uh, the other part of the Jewish communities in in Harare. Is, is there much difference between the two, um, size wise, culture wise? So size wise, when I was growing up, Harare was a bigger community. Not, not significantly. Um, but it, it, it felt like whenever we were in Harare, it felt, we had a lot of, we had cousins, we had uncles and aunts in, in Harare. It felt like the community, from a community perspective, it was all the same. You know, they had the Jewish school from an upbringing point of view there. I think there was a bigger Sephardic community in Harare. Um, but for, for most part of it, 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 it felt like you could have been in your parents' home, you know, and, and it, it was great. Harare was a much bigger city. I, I, I'm trying to think of the equivalent here, probably comparing a Durban community to maybe a, 
Pretoria to an extent. Um, I know, and both of the, I've, I've, I've experienced the communities in both in both areas there, especially living in Durban, well, just outside of Durban. Um, but very warm, very very warm communities. And you were going to school at the time when Zimbabwe was going through uh, some pretty difficult periods in its history. I mean, it has had some pretty difficult periods, just regardless. But I mean, there was always like a racial issue. Uh, in Zimbabwe in terms of you know, the white farmers and Zanipia. Did, did that affect the Jewish community as the Jewish community or, or, or were you just kind of sucked up into the general, as a young person, uh, into the general political upheaval? I think from a schooling perspective, we were kind of sheltered. We were sheltered from all of that. Um, and from a community perspective, again, might have been a, a young naive me. It didn't feel like there was any prejudice toward us or anything of the kind. It felt like almost as though no, the Jews were there, they did their thing, and, and that was it. Mm-hmm. You know, there was no actual intervention from outside, pressures from outside. I think a, a lot of the guys there, as much tension and racial tension there has been, there still is a lot of respect for the religious communities. Mm-hmm. The, the religious communities, yeah, in, in, in the greater sense. And from that aspect, it, it, it felt like we were living a normal childhood in that regard. Look, things were hard, which is, which is why I actually ended up having to leave them. We would be sitting in a classroom and our maths teacher, I'll never forget, she, she received an SMS the one morning saying that the one petrol station was receiving fuel and I think anywhere between the next 48 to 72 hours. So she was like saying, sorry, I need to go and sit in a cube for potentially the next three days to go and get to have, fill up my car. Mm-hmm. And it was then that I had the conversation with my dad. I, I said to him, you know, it's, it was actually the conversation. My brother, my oldest brother came home and he said, maybe we should, con- maybe you should consider looking at other options, you know, before our matric syllabus really started kicking in and moving to South Africa. So the next day, my dad basically phoned me crying saying, is this something you really want to do? And a week later, I was bags packed on the way to Durban <laughs> to boarding school. So, so you were in grade 11 at the time. Uh, a form three equivalent, yeah. No, no, no. So I would have been ending grade nine, ending okay. grade nine, going into grade ten. Fifteen so years old. Fifteen years yeah. old. That's a big decision to take uh, for for a young person to leave your family and say, okay, it's time to go somewhere else. Yeah. So my middle brother had just finished school, so he was moving to Cape Town to go in for the, his studies, and it w- it was hard, especially those first two three weeks boarding school. <laughs> It's tough. Um, your life kind of revolves around a bell. You know, first bell, second bell, third bell, you're at the house, eating breakfast, making sure that your shoes are polished and your tie's on. Um, but once you get into the routine of things and you actually make friends and you and you get involved in the whole school spirit, it it, it really was great. Um, and I think the bit of closure that I needed was going back to Zim for the first time to actually see my parents and seeing the differences to what I had and what I what, what I was getting and what I had. And it, it did make the decision, well, it made my decision much easier. But those first few, few, few weeks, couple of months was really, really hard. Now, Zimbabweans themselves, I mean, uh, the, certainly the Zimbabwean expat community that we have here, um, and I'm talking here about the black Zimbabweans specifically, uh, it, they seem to be a very friendly people, uh, very helpful, highly educated. Is that your experience uh, is it more integrated than South Africa? Because obviously we have this like long history here of segregation. Uh, but you, you kind of wonder in other African countries, uh, are people more, do they engage more, uh, than, than perhaps we did here? 
So I think one of the, if any of the few things that the Mugabe regime did get right, it was his focus on education. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that played a significant role in the growth of the people there. So, I mean, you see people with economics degrees, um, law degrees that are ending up being your waiters in your restaurants and cleaning your bathrooms in, in nightclubs or whatever the case may be. And it, it's terrible to see, you know, they, they, they've had to leave their families, but they will do anything to make sure they provide for their families. There's almost a sense that they're not, they too scared to not be able to earn an income to send back to their families, especially now. You see what's going on now. People, they can't afford to do anything. There's chaos with the currency at the moment. No one really knows what's going to happen. Is it going to go exactly back to what we experienced a few years ago? It's, it's, it's sad. It's mm-hmm. sad to see that the people are suffering again. So, I think there was a lot of hope in some respects, certainly earlier this year uh, with the election and, and with the end of Mugabe. Is there a sense that that's faded a bit or do you think that this might just be some of the healing that's needed to get the country onto a right track? My heart goes out to them. I mean, I, I try and converse with as many people that I can who still have family there um, to try and suss out because I haven't been back since 2014, 2015. My parents have since left. Um, I try and get a sense of whether they have hope, whether they're just getting to a point where they, you know, look, there's not much, unfortunately, that can do. But contrast that to a South African environment where I think I don't think the people here would give as much patience as, as the Zimbabweans do. I think there would be a lot more violence. Look, there's a lot of police um, brutality that one has to bear in mind. But... There was a sense of hope. Don't get me wrong. It's when when it was found out that he was no longer that he was stepping down, it was for everyone: people who were living there, people who used to live there years ago, people who had lost everything that they had. There was a sense of hope, um, but you see what's going on there, and it kind of is it's the same thing just happening over again. Now, I want to track back to your school experience for a moment. Uh, not just the fact that you have to now deal with a bell and shoes and tie and all that kind of thing. Uh, going from a Jewish school into a Catholic school, into a Methodist school, I'm assuming that the last two were also boys' schools. So that's an additional cultural shift, I'm sure. Talk to us a little bit about those different experiences, because I do think it's fairly unique. So when I left Carmel going into high school, Christian Brothers College, it was... The one thing I will say is that I did grow up in a very disciplined environment. Uh, that's one thing that the that the school systems they still got corporal punishment there in Zimbabwe. In Zimbabwe, yeah. So you yourself got jacks or flaps no, or no, anything like as, that. As hard as I would like to say, I, 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 I that honestly it terrified me. <laughs> uh, there were a few a few instances where I was standing outside the principal's office and I heard the noise that came off that off that stick and it 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 made me avoid his his office for a very very long time. Um. So, so you were saying discipline. Uh, so, yes, a very, very disciplined environment, you know. Um, from I'd, from a cultural perspective, there were, not much had changed. There were, the, As I said, there was only one other Jewish girl in my class with me. She had relocated to the UK. Being in an all-boys environment, the, I was 12 years old. I only really cared about cricket and soccer and, you know, just, just getting out there in the afternoon after school. So from that from that point of view, it was nothing had changed. The only thing now that I really had to get used to was learn well, not learning, but at least sitting through Catholic mass, um, going and listening to all the different uh, carols that were being sung and on you know build up into Christmas time. It, it was interesting. It, it, it certainly was an eye opener. 
uh, and you did get a few kids who would look at you and say, why aren't you singing, like, what, what, what's going on, you know, and you kind of explain to them, and it was, you know, it's, it's not exactly my thing. <laughs> um, and, yeah, and certain, some of them would run off and say, oh, Dean's not singing, oh, yeah, you know, but there were, there were, you had to kind of, in the same way you had non-Jewish kids attending a Jewish school and, and abiding by the Jewish ethos, we had to kind of abide by Catholic ethos to an extent, you know, attend, I, I certainly wasn't going to partake in, um, but at least go and sit there with everyone else. So how often did you have to do that? Twice a week, sometimes three times a week. Yeah. Um, with a big mass, probably once a month. Uh, yeah. It's pretty intensive. Yeah. It, it was, and it was a big eye opener. Here's me, but, you know, for us, it was hell on a Friday to them. It's a type of wafer, and you're like, oh, do we get some kind of thing, you know? <laughs> so it, it was, it was a bit of a learning, a learning experience. Um, and what about like, Jewish holidays. I mean, were you able to get off for Rosh Hashanah yeah. or Yom Kippur, that yeah. sort of thing? Yeah, uh, the high holidays definitely. Um, and when we needed to, that we we did, we did. Um, there was to there there were sometimes you did hear a few jibes as like, oh, why you you know why how how come you're allowed this if you're allowed this and we should be too. But you get on with it. You you do what you have to do. And so you never had any problems with overt anti-Semitism. Not directly, not to a point. Look, there were, there was always comments, uh, Jew boy, Jew this, you know, but I never had any, I, I never had violence in my face if that, if I was never really threatened with violence in my face. Yes, the guys would call names or whatever the case may be. No, it didn't ever feel like it was aggressive or violent to that extent more of just from a banter perspective you know for a lot of the guys especially when i moved to durban they hadn't really never seen a jew mm. you know um so for them it was more calling and looking for a reaction as opposed to anything you don't give them the reaction they get over it they move on and at the methodist school was it a similar kind of a culture just a different christianity yeah 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 very much so um a little less strict because there was no corporal punishment, so the guys felt like they could do a little get get away with it a little bit more, and they could. Um, which is also the I I thinking back about it in my first like six weeks, I was getting up. You know, when I say discipline, I'm talking about when not even when if one of the teachers walked past you, if you were sitting outside and a cop drove past you, you would stand up and take off your hat and and kind of greet to that extent. You know, so I was still very much in that rhythm when I moved to Durban. Um, and for a lot of the kids, they found this highly entertaining. Um, but it was, yeah, it was, it, it, it did get a bit more relaxed. Did that school also do the O levels or the A levels? No, so they were on a matric syllabus. So you had to also switch syllabus? Yeah. So which is why I needed to make the decision that when I left at the age of 15, it was the beginning of the matric syllabus. So I either had to leave then or I had to stick it up for the O's and A levels. And thankfully I didn't have to write the O's and A levels. <laughs> Why does why go to some boarding school in the middle of nowhere? I mean, so there, there were Jewish schools. There was places in Joburg, even. So Cape Town was where my brothers were, and my oldest brother had been studying there. My middle, my middle brother was moving there to study, um, and I kind of looked at it, and I didn't want to be a burden on my brothers um, if I was going there to schlep me back and forth to school. My parents were still in Zim at the time. Um, I had one or two friends who had gone to the school, which was kind of one of the reasons that it ever became an option. Um, but it shaped me into who I am today. It, it really was a different experience. 
if my wife asks, like, whether I'd send my kids to boarding school, there, there's certainly an element that I wish we, I wish I could explain to people what you do really get out of it. Um, but yeah, that, that, that'll never happen. <laughs> <laughs> because of your wife. <laughs> no, 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 no. You know, at the Jewish upbringing, we had a very traditional home. Um, my parents were very traditional. Um, but there was, I, I, I personally feel that I wish there was a bit more of a Jewish education that I could have had in my upbringing. And I, for please God, my kids one day will be able to experience that kind of upbringing. And so you're now settled in South Africa, uh, and, you're okay. As settled as, as settled as one can be. Right. Um, you always have your passport in your back pocket. Correct. Correct. Um, we look. We we very comfortable here. Um, if if that's the word I could use. Um, but having seen what happened in Zim, and you start seeing the traits of what's hap- kind of happening here, it, it makes you a little bit nervous. As young as I was, you know. But it did that that had that played a major. Had a major impact on my life, and you just kind of see those trades happening again, and where that that could impact your life again. Yeah. The next Zimbabwe is a phrase everyone hates. Um, is it some? I mean, obviously, it's something that worries you. But do you think that we're fundamentally different? I think, which is what I've I've said to anyone, as as, as long as your courts are fair, I think you have the opportunity. Well, you're unlikely to go in that direction. Once that goes. I, I certainly don't think there's much stopping South Africa from going in the same direction. And the community still in Zim? Do you still keep in contact? Do you, st- is there still, I know that the community here was mobilizing if there was going to be a problem at some point to help the, the community there, but is there, is there still a network? Uh, very small, but there is. Um, I still have a cousin there, um, who commutes between Joburg and, and Bulawayo. Um, the, the guys do what they can do. Look, when I was, when I was growing up, People couldn't really wait for you to have a bar mitzvah because you were not, you were an extra person for the minion, you know. So as soon as as soon as you became of that age, you were always phoned, and that's and that's how it had to be, you know. Before every before every every minion, it would be a phone call the night before. Are you available? Can you make it? And and that's how it was. Um, they asked. It's it's a very small community there. Uh, when I was there, I would say probably about a hundred people. No, if uh, if there's more than 25, 30, I'd be surprised. Very, very interesting. Dean Solomon, thank you so much for coming on 101.9 Chai FM and uh, the new review and sharing your experiences. Thank you very much for having me. We'll be back just after the break. You're back with 101.9 Chai FM. I'm Benji Shulman, and this is the new Blue Review. Now, I have to tell you that on Friday last week was a very difficult day uh, for us in the office. And uh, the reason is that on Friday morning, we got news that Moses Moyo had died. Now, um, M- Moses uh, was a, a strong uh, friend and strong supporter, but I, I get the feeling that not a lot of people necessarily in the community knew uh, him And so what I wanted to do was just take a little bit of time on the show today and uh, and just pay a bit of tribute to him so that people out in the community who didn't know him would just have the opportunity uh, to get a bit more information about a, a very extraordinary uh, human being. Uh, Moses himself 
was actually born also in Bulawayo in Zimbabwe, uh, just like our previous guest uh, who lived there, and uh, and came to live in South Africa. And I guess the first thing that anyone who would have known Moses would have realized was that uh, he was an extraordinary um, had an extraordinary personality. Every time that he would arrive, uh, he would arrive in a hat, uh, as petite, particularly like those sort of revolutionary-looking hats, uh, and uh, the ones that looked like uh, uh, they might have been belonged in a 1930s film or something like that. And he always had this amazing uh, bubbly personality. There would always be jokes uh, and smiles, and and it was very warm and welcoming and kind to everybody who he met, which. Uh, was as, as, uh, just as astonishing, but he could also be uh, very, very serious uh, and pull you into a conversation uh, very, very quickly about things that had to get done. Uh, and he was a humble man. He he went along his way quietly, uh, doing his thing uh, and and not talking about himself all that much. Uh, Moses came from a community, a church. Uh, called the Impact for Christ Ministries, which is based in uh, downtown Johannesburg, and it's run by uh, the prophet Philip Bunda, uh, who is uh, a big part of uh, our community and uh, is is a part of what's known as the South African Friends of Israel Network and was one of the first churches to ever join it. Uh, And if you see uh, members of this church, you will see that they will wear yarmulkes, they'll wear tzitzit, uh, but they are still Christian, but at the same time very, very connected uh, to the Jewish people in, and uh, to Israel. And in fact, the church itself once actually uh, donated a ambulance to uh, Magandovid Adom in Jerusalem, uh, an entire ambulance, and uh, it now drives around uh, in Jerusalem rescuing Israelis of all faiths uh, and colors and creeds uh, and was donated by that particular church and and I think part of that was what was so important to Moses because he was a member of the church and the church was in downtown Johannesburg and a lot of that aspect in in at any rate in the way that we met um and and interacted with him revolved around uh, those two aspects so so the church was very very important in his life um and I want to talk a little bit about the downtown aspect because what Moses did was he ran something called the Inner City Gazette. He was an editor. He was a journalist. Uh, he also worked for EWN. And the Inner City Gazette was a little bit like your knock and drops, you know, your Northeastern Tribunes, uh, Santon Chronicle, that kind of thing. Uh, it was an independent paper, community paper. And he used to talk a lot about the issues that go on in the inner city, um, the ills that are there, uh, the issues of housing facing people, uh, the plight of the poor, and he really was a voice for people who didn't have that much uh, of a voice themselves, and that's what he used his inner city gazette for. Uh, He also worked for Eyewitness News uh, at some points and uh, was very involved in in that media journalist space, Uh, and as a result, he was uh, on the South African National Editors Forum on their subcommittee dealing with community media and they put out a statement after after he died and and was well known by all the players in the inner city when he died the the, the mayor of Johannesburg Herman Mashaba uh, tweeted something 
uh, the big housing groups uh, who own a lot of the buildings, they put out something. So he was very involved in trying to do what he could to make sure that downtown Johannesburg was uh, good and clean and a, a place that was for all people from Johannesburg. So that was one place where we knew him from. The other place was in, obviously, the Jewish community. Because of the church's uh, connection to uh, Israel and and its love of the Jewish community, we we engage with them very often uh, as communal professionals. But Moses really took it to a completely uh, new level. I don't know... Uh, that there were too many events that I went to where I didn't see Moses attending, uh, particularly if, if it was an event to, to do with Israel. Uh, Moses was there. He was enjoying himself. He was meeting members of the Jewish community. Uh, he went to Israel on several occasions uh, with the express purpose of supporting uh, community initiatives. At one point, he was even going to run for the DL Link, the Jerusalem Marathon, to raise money for um, for uh, for cancer survivors and so he was very involved in that level but he didn't just stop there uh, he he was an active advisor uh, in how the jewish community could better conduct itself uh, amongst ordinary south africans uh, i'm sure that uh, people will know that you know we, we live in a complicated political landscape and it can be sometimes difficult to know how to say the right thing do the right thing talk to the right people and moses i discovered in the two days uh, before his death had con- was was in contact with at least half a dozen different Jewish people and organizations, advising them on on routes and things that they had to be doing. Uh, and he was always pushing us to be a bit more out there, a bit more engaged, and and sometimes going so far as to organize things himself. I personally went on a number of protests with him. Uh, we protested pro-Israel protests outside. Uh, the Gauteng legislature on a number of occasions. He was very instrumental in helping to organize the South African Friends of Israel uh, march to Pretoria, uh, which happened uh, a couple of months ago. So he really was enormously uh, influential. And as a community, we relied a lot on his insights and his networks uh, to help us navigate this difficult uh, political environment in which South Africa operates. Now, a lot of people... Uh, you know, when you talk to them about doing pro-Israel advocacy, they, there's always something in their back of the minds that, well, you know, I might lose my business or I'm not going to be so cool in front of my friends or anything like that. And Moses was someone who completely understood that, completely suffered for it, and completely ignored it all at the same time. Uh, he just didn't care for him. This was the truth, and it didn't matter, and he had to do it. And he was downtown which meant that he was right in the bubble of BDS. He was right in the hairline of the ANC and the EFF, and uh, they went after his newspapers. Um, they they tried to get uh, things cancelled in terms of uh, his advertisers, and he just went on regardless because he said that this is the truth and this is what he needs to do. And, in fact, he went on the counterattack. I can remember during the ANC conference in December where they voted to uh, – uh, closed down the embassy, the, the ANC resolution. He went into that um, conference and he printed a special edition of his newspaper just with pro-Israel articles and was handing it out amongst the delegates to such an extent that BDS members actually threatened to get physically violent with him. It was amazing. I've never met a man with as much spirit 
for for pro-Israel causes as Moses had, <laughs> and it even went to the extent of being comical at some points. Uh, I can remember after Mighty Jamie uh, sort of destroyed Muhammad Desai in that debate uh, a few weeks ago, he went outside the BDS offices and did a a live stream, uh, sort of mocking them on how useless their debating was. He was completely, completely fearless, and uh, it really, I think, uh, was a model of how uh, pro-Israel activism can work and can be ef- effective, and it uh, was was quite uh, quite remarkable. Now, Moses, as I said, was a big lover of the station. He was a big lover of of uh, the people here, and he even listened to the show uh, on a regular basis. Often, when I would get people tweeting in or or uh, sending me a WhatsApp, it would be Moses uh, giving uh, some kind of encouragement or criticism or engagement. Uh, and uh, I remember one instance in particular where uh, I went on a, like a long 15-minute rant against Rudy Klabi uh, because of some Israel thing that she had said, uh, and Moses sent me in something and helped calm us down, and uh, you know, just it was a personal thing. And uh, he, uh, you know, he was always there in, in that way. And uh, yeah, it's uh, he was a special friend. As the Jewish community, we don't get a lot of friends, and so. Moses was was one of those, and quite frankly, we could have used ten of him, but we only ended up getting one of him, and not really for long enough because he died far too young. So Moses Moyo, thank you for being our friend. Thank you for being my friend. You are a mensch, and you are someone who uh, we really, really relied on. And as Genesis says, those who bless Israel will be blessed. And I'm convinced that wherever you are now. Now, moving on to another sad topic <laughs> this weekend. Uh, I think that it would be difficult for anyone in the Jewish world not to have known about uh, the Pittsburgh uh, gun massacre that took place while people were celebrating the Shabbat project, while celebrating uh, the Shabbat refugee project, uh, which is something that they were doing uh, in America. And uh, I must say, I've met the people from HIAS who are organizing that, uh, which is the Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society, uh, who do tremendous work with immigrants and helping to get people settled uh, in, in new countries. And and this was part of the reason why the shul was attacked, uh, was not only because it was Jewish, although that clearly was part of the reason, but also because they were uh, doing this refugee uh, Shabbat. Now, I was uh, watching the responses to this thing and uh, different people. And I have to say, uh, Howard Feldman put out a great video and I just wanted to sort of echo some of the con- content of what he said and uh, and maybe put something uh, for action going forward. One of Howard's key points was that this is a time for support of the victims and uh, being together as one Jewish community. And unfortunately, I th- I'm already seeing uh, uh Far too much people who are talking about the divisiveness of this particular thing. People who are talking about Trump, they're talking about gun control, they're talking about immigration, uh, they're talking about reform and orthodox, um, and all of the, the sort of divisions and political issues that we face as a community. And they're starting to use this thing as a stick to beat one another with. I'm sure we're going to get to that point. I'm sure we're going to get to the point where, uh, you know, as a community, we won't uh, be able to ever only look at this tragedy in one dimension. But for now, I think that this kind of talk is very, very dangerous. 
Um, it's divisive. Uh, it allows our enemies to take control of this narrative. It, it makes uh, the death of Jews into a political issue, and I think it's something that we should fight hard against. And it's not just about fighting hard against that kind of division, but it's about actively promoting our own form of unity, which is why I was very happy to see that the American Jewish Committee, uh, which is one of the Jewish organizations that run in America, is organizing a show up for Shabbat uh, initiative, which is already starting um, to to gain traction all around uh, the world. And I think that we should be supporting it. I'll be supporting it. And basically what it is, is to for people to say that uh, when Shabbat comes next week, be there. You know, just be there. And the reason is not in the same way as the Shabbat project, uh, or the Shabbos project, which, you know, I participated in and I regularly go to shul myself anyway. But this is not about uh, a religious connection. It's about saying that shuls are places not just where we pray, but where we meet one another, where we engage with one another, and they're the center of our communities. And they have to be safe. Uh, and they have to be places where, as Jews, uh, it's acceptable that we can go without worrying about our lives. Now, on one level, that's the security situation, and that's why we have groups like CSO. But on the other hand, it's about us claiming that space and saying, the space in ours. So even if you're not religious, even if you're not going for religious reasons, I would encourage members of the community to use this hashtag, Shah for Shabbat, and this coming weekend, make sure you do, because that... Uh, first of all, shows that we're not afraid. And second of all, shows that we have the character, uh, of the Jewish community and the character of, of, of unity to say that it doesn't matter who you are, this is what you're going to do. Uh, and we're not going to be coward and we are going to go to our Jewish institutions and be part of them. So that is all I wanted to say on the next things to do uh, after this attack. There's much more to say, but we have come to the end of the show. Uh, thank you too much to the people uh, who sent in so they liked the song uh, for Moses. Appreciate that. Thank you to all of our guests who came on today. Thank you to Mandy, the producer, Vuzi, who does the sound, uh, and to Craig, who pushes all the big red buttons. I'll be back next week on the New Blue Review.